hoity-doody little buckaroo. To you, like animals, we sure do. So come on down to the weekly meeting of the Animal Fan Club. Cuckoo, cuckoo. The cuckoo clock is proclaiming that it's Creature O'Clock. So ring that buzzer, it sounds like a lion roar. And open the door to join us for the fourth meeting of the Animal Fan Club. I'm Fontanelle Fantasy Meredith. And I'm Man Baby Mike. (laughs) We meet every week at our clubhouse we like to call the Dalmatian Station. Arf, arf! To talk about our favorite animals. What we lack in expertise, we make up for an unbridled enthusiasm and childlike wonder. Wow! So saddle up that miniature horse and hold on tight for the furriest, fin-filled, and feathered podcast in all of the kingdom, Animalia. So, Mike, hello. Hi, Meredith. How are you today? You know, I'm a little down. I'm a little down. Why is that? Well, so I went to my favorite bodega. (laughs) Bodega. Uh Uh-huh. And this is the bodega that happened to be the home of my favorite bodega cat, Mio. Oh, Mio. Mio. You've told me about Mio. I've told fucking everybody about Mio. Yeah, that's true. Pretty much everyone who's been in a vicinity of me at all in the past month has seen pictures, has heard stories. So I haven't seen him in a bit. I even took a friend who was visiting from out of town last week over to see him, and he was nowhere to be found. So I finally asked the guy. I say, where's where's my favorite cat? He says, somebody took him. The bodega cat was stolen? He was stolen. He was catnapped. He was catnapped? What type of person steals a bodega cat from a bodega? I just, I mean, a criminal, a cruel-hearted snake. Cold-hearted snake. Yeah. Well, snakes are cold-blooded. It's true. More on that later. <laughs> oh, really? Mate, ki- kind of. <laughs> tangentially. Well, I mean, hey, you know, I always like to talk about snakes. Well, I know you do. Meredith, you know what we we haven't talked about yet was our trip to see the Philharmonic, our <laughs> animal fan club field trip, <laughs> where they they performed uh, the the Bluebeard's Castle. Yes, and during spoiler alert, wait, was it during Bluebeard's no, Castle? No, this was at the no. end of Ervartung, the um the mono drama. Is that what they were calling it? That's what they called it. The mono drama because we talked about monotremes. Yes, we did. <laughs> of course. <laughs> Always animals on our lips. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, so Ivartung, which is the monodrama by Schoenberg. And then at the end, it was this very like high concept piece with like doctors operating on something and a woman wandering with flowers. Right. Like the orchestra was downstage and then upstage, which is like further away from the audience. Like when you're looking at the stage, further away is upstage. Right. So upstage of the orchestra, they had built a sort of dais, if you will. Mm-hmm. And there was action happening up there. And there was it looked like they were doing an autopsy. And so they pulled back the sheet on the thing and they were like cutting it up. But you couldn't see what was on the table. Right. And then they pulled the sheet back and it was like a dismembered deer. Did it have antlers? I can't remember. Well, there was also that video screen on the back that had the projection of the deer. And remember, I was saying it's a true deer because it did have horns and antlers, unlike our Trigulidae friend, which is not a true deer. He just had long front teeth. Yeah. (laughs) I suck like this. Um, But it was a true deer, but it wasn't actually a true true deer. deer. It was an image of a true deer. So it was like a false true deer. So that, I don't know, that... 
caused much consternation for me during intermission. I know. It was much discussed. True deer or not true deer? That is the question. Right? Well, I, I mean, any other like animal happenings in your life this week, Mike? Um, yes. I did have a uh, kind of a, a random animal sighting that I thought was pretty fun. And it was um, last night as I was lying in bed, I ended up watching a video about the uh, Thorbo, the Baroque yeah. instrument. Yeah, the really long necked thing. Yeah, and yep. it was on uh, it was on YouTube. It was this wonderful lutenist, Elizabeth Kenny, and she did a wonderful job of talking to the camera and explaining the history of this particular instrument and yep. how it evolved like around the invention of opera because they she said that she said that the lutes of the day didn't quite have enough pizzazz for singers entering on clouds and everything and didn't quite have the projection so they added all yes. these bass strings so it's kind of like two instruments fused together well the basso continuo construction you gotta have bass and you have a way have to have a way to realize chords right yeah right so i guess the orbo would do both it does yeah it does and so she was um at one point they zoomed out i'm going to show you this and she pointed up to the neck <laughs> and she said way up there and then very very quickly and very very subtly the neck and head of a giraffe was superimposed <laughs> on the neck of the instrument. Cause this thing's about six feet long. Yeah, so it extends like a good big. three feet past like the left arm of the player. And so with her body too, it's almost like she's like a sort of puppeteer doing yes. like a giraffe puppet. This has to go on the Instagram. Yeah. I'll definitely put it on there. That's amazing. That's some man melding of early music, opera, animals. I mean, what more, more could, could you, you ask want? for? <laughs> it's a dream come true. It's my dream come true. Yorbo giraffe. Damn it, she stole my animal for today. Just kidding. <laughs> I do also have a quick update on um, on Noni. Because, mm. um, of course, you know, I had to talk to my mom on the phone because it's a day that ends in the letter Y. And so I, <laughs> I was telling her about how I had recounted the Noni story. yes. And she said that the moment that she knew that she had to do something about it was when I was like taken to see Santa at the mall. And they were like, Mike, like, tell Santa what you want for Christmas. And I said, all I want is to know that Noni is safe. Oh, my gosh, Mike. I didn't even want him back. I just wanted proof of life. I needed like a photo of Noni with today's newspaper. Yes. Just like that (laughs) was it, you know. That's like how I feel about Mio right now. Yeah. Ugh. I hope you're I hope you're okay out there, little kitten. There's just so many shelters. And like if you're gonna steal something from a bodega, first of all, you're an idiot. And second of all, like, why are you taking the cat? Like, take some Doritos or something. I know. Well, there was actually when we used to have to watch New York One all day, there was this saga that unfolded that I mean, the roller coaster of emotions we went on over this news story. So I think somewhere up in the Bronx, there was a family that owned and operated this bodega and the little boy, his cat was, his kitten actually was stolen and he was this autistic boy and the cat was actually like a very helpful, helpful presence in his life. Um, And so this ran on the news all day, like who, what monster would do this, steal this autistic boy's kitten? And then apparently the guy that stole the cat saw the news story and returned it. So by the end of the day, 
on the news. They're like, the kitten has returned. And we were all just like arms up, like praise Jesus. Kitten is back. Won't he do it? Won't he do it? Um, yeah, so I'm just praying for such a story with Mio. For the safe but, return of Mio. Yeah. Well, I'll keep my paws crossed. Me too. I love it when cats do that. Mm-hmm. Make them look like little princes. I don't know. Should we just get into it? We should. All right. Um, I think it's my, it is my turn to go first. I do yes. know this. It is an even numbered episode. Oh yeah. That's how, okay. That's how I'm going to call. Thanks. Yeah. That's going to be helpful. <laughs> yeah. Really into numbers right now. Um, well, ready? Okay. Taxana you. Taxana we. Taxana who? Taxana me. Kingdom. Animalia. It is what we're here for. Phylum. Cordata. This one's got a spine. Class. Reptilia. Ooh, their blood is cold. Order. Squamata. It's got scales. Family. Lapidae. Venomous snakes. Genus. Naja. True cobras. Species. Naja Haje. Watch out, Cleopatra. It's an Egyptian cobra. Oh my God. I'm having like, I'm breaking down right now because we, our shit's going to match for the cheer up to a certain point. I'm kind of excited about that. And even the way you like explain, elucidate after each, (laughs) we're pretty much doing the exact same That's so awesome. Funny. We are becoming one in the head. We didn't we didn't plan this one out. I was um, wondering, like going through, I was like, okay, how far is this gonna go? Well, I wonder okay. Let's just let's just dive in. All right. This is gonna be a fun episode. I was as I was writing this out, I was like, what happens if we by some weird chance do something super similar or I, the same? I'm just kind of cause I'm here to talk about some like reptile things. And so I'm kind of curious to hear what your reptile, I'm sure you have general reptile knowledge. So yes. Well, the Naja Haje was first described by our good friend, Carl Linnaeus in 1758. The, mm-hmm. the daddy of modern taxonomy. It's not taxonomy daddy. <laughs> <laughs> um, the nausea is a Latinization of a Sanskrit word that means cobra. Um, okay. And that's the, so that's the genus. And then haje is uh, derived from the, uh, the Arabic word for snake. Okay. okay. And then we do have a suborder in here between the squamates and the elapidae is mm-hmm. the suborder is uh, serpentes, the snakes. Serpentes. <laughs> Spanish snakes. Um, so the Egyptian cobra isn't just in Egypt. It, we it rains. It rains. <laughs> it ranges. Um, like it a, rains with a mighty it, fist. Yeah, with a big uh, bolero sort Collar. of um, So it like North Africa, like along the Mediterranean, and then mm-hmm. kind of in sub-Sahara, like the uh, the savannas like above West Africa, and then down to like the Congo Basin. And then, like, over east to, like, Kenya and uh, Tanzania. Okay. It it lives in, like, it likes a bunch of different habitats. Like, we're talking about, like, you know, dry to moist areas, mm-hmm. like, semi-desert regions. But they think that it also likes water because um, it's usually found by water. Okay. It's mostly, like, comes out in the twilight nocturnal times. But sometimes you can see it in the morning time just sunning itself on a rock. Yes. 
yeah, it's like in fields. It's everywhere. It it's it lives up against humans. Sometimes it hunts like domesticated fowl and it's like mm. enters homes and things. <laughs> it's the second largest cobra in Africa. I feel like it's probably saying something. It's kind of fun. The forest cobra is is larger. It's about one to two meters long, which is like a meter is like three feet, a little more than three feet. The longest is about three meters. Holy uh, shit. They can weigh up to 20 pounds. Ooh. And they typically live uh, 20 to 30 years. Wow. Okay. Yeah. I know. It's kind of, I mean, I don't really know what to say about the lifespan of creatures generally. I never really have thought about it much until starting to do this. I'm 34. So I hear about these lizards, walry, living up to like my age. Right. And I'm like, okay. I mean, you just kind of wonder like, what's the most fun time for a snake? Like a cobra is like, are the teenage years like shitty? Is it more like the tot? Like once they get past toddlerhood, get it? Hood. With yeah. the, <laughs> the cobra hood. Like once they get past toddlerhood, they're fine. That's what yeah. I would think. When do when do cobras peak? I would think it would be like in their tweens. What are they doing in their tweens? It's so great. It becomes their like halcyon days. Um, they have uh, these different bracelets that they wear, but they wear them on their bodies, and they're like uh, about like a half, like three quarters of an inch thick, and they just say like "too cool for school" like around the outside <laughs> of them. Yeah, you know, that really marks them in that time in their life. Yeah. They, they definitely look back at the photos and they're like, yeah, those were the good days. All right. It's like us with slap bracelets. Exactly like us with snap bracelets. That's when I peaked. That neon green slap bracelet we got at United Dairy Farmers. I'm still on the way up. My 40s are going to be my de- best decade. Mm-hmm. I mean, the thing about this snake is that most of the time it kind of slithers away. Like if, if you startle it, it will be like, I'm out of here. Scoot. But if it's like, feels cornered it will do that typical cobra pose that we all know where it kind of like coils up and then it like you know slithers up and its hood expands and it goes like (laughs) (laughs) and um that's how you know like shit's about to get real shit is definitely about to get real oh so scary the head is large depressed and slightly (laughs) distinct from the neck i know i thought that word (laughs) isn't that funny (laughs) Its head is depressed. Um, Well, listen, cobras. (laughs) SSRIs are really, like, not that bad. You know, I would encourage you to explore that with your healthcare professional, your cobra healthcare professional. Yes. Um, The snout is moderately broad and rounded. It has quite a big eye with a round pupil. And uh, frequently there's a teardrop mark below the eye. I mean, they killed somebody. I'm going to come back to that. Okay. Um, they come in a wide variety of colors. Most are <laughs> browns. Some We have like copper reds. We have gray browns. Some are like totally black. They have ventral surfaces with creamy whites, yellows, browns, grays, dark blues, dark browns, black. There's a cobra for every season, really. Serving looks for every season, every climate under the Saharan sun. Work. And the Mediterranean sun. Yes. They're pretty, cobras are kind of, you know, they're pretty cool. You coming around to cobras? I'm definitely feeling cobra energy. Yeah? Yeah. Okay. I think um, 
I've been playing, you know, I've been doing all these dance, I've been accompanying dance classes lately. It's like, I've been doing a lot of it and you play, you, you know, you can bring like different hand drums and frame drums and whatever. Oh yes. So I've been bringing this, um, Egyptian tambourine that I play called the Rick. It's spelled R I Q. Uh huh. And, um, I call mine Rick James. <laughs> Naturally. Naturally. <laughs> And so I've been playing Rick James in these classes and like just in the last two days, like I found this new technique that I just hadn't really developed before, but it just all of a sudden started happening, like in the middle of like playing for a combination. Beautiful. And so I've been developing it like over the last couple of days, you know, just by myself in the corner. And I, I would like to credit the Naja Haje for inspiring me thusly. Look at that. Mm-hmm. You're fun animal pastime has worked its way into your professional life it sure has meredith would you like a fig oh i'm okay i'm good on figs okay i brought this basket of figs to your home i'm just gonna leave it right here it seems our cobra friend might like a fig um you know hypothetically there's no report about cobras eating figs they don't like fruits they don't like dried fruits but i'm just gonna leave this basket of figs (laughs) right here on the table great maybe the um Cobra spirit will inspire me to taste one. I mean, I hope it does. Let's see. You're going to go for that beer instead, I'll go for the Miller High Life instead. Yeah. Animal Fan Club is brought to you by Miller High Life. Oh, as is like the past 10 years of my life. (laughs) It's only the champagne of beers if it's from the brewery in Milwaukee. Otherwise, it's just sparkling beer. Shut up. (laughs) You had me. You had me. I did. We're going to talk about scalation. Okay. And now scalation is like the arrangement of scales. I thought this was really interesting. So the dorsal scales are like the scales around like the back of the body. I'm kind of gesturing now. I know. I wish you could see the gentle rubbing Mike is doing to his um, thorax. thorax. Yeah, my thorax. Yes. Now they count the number of scales around as a way of like measuring like circumference. So we have dorsal scales. Yeah, lizard girth. The lizard girth is about 19 (laughs) to 20 scales, which indicates circumference. Okay. Now we have the ventral scales, which are on the ventral side. They're counted like along the length because they kind of go, they're like elongated. They stretch all the way across the ventral side. Yeah. So there's 191 to 220 ventral scales, which go down the length. So it's like 100 and... 91 to 220 scales long. The anal plate is single. Snakes have anal plates. They're on the dorsal side. Okay. And then there's like the subcaudal scales, which are the scales aft of the anal plate between the anal plate and the tail. And they like, they're not one. They're like two. They kind of, they kind of interlace. We are not two. We are one. Then it goes into like the, there's like preoculars, postoculars, like around the faces. There's upper upper labial scales, which are oh above the the. That's like your upper lip, and the lower labials are like your lower lip on your on the mouth. That is, the anal plate is the other. Situation. Well, you said the anal plate was on the dorsal side, so the upper side. Uh, if I did, I misspoke. It's on the ventral side. Okay. it's on the underside. I was like, snakes have butts on their backs. No, no, they don't. <laughs> Um, but you know, let's talk about butts gladly. So the anal scale covers the cloaca, which is a <laughs> dirty, dirty place where all the poopies, <laughs> the peepees and the sexies all happen in the cloaca region. 
Well, this is funny because you always hear about birds having cloacas. They do. Which is interesting because birds and reptiles are so closely related. Affirmative. The, I mean, amphibians, reptiles, birds, some fishes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I remember reading about cloacal fins. Yeah. Cloacal fins. Oh, there's a... God, more fins. <laughs> and, and monotremes, our friends, our monodrama monotremes. Yes. Let's say that we're just a couple of snakes and we want to <laughs> make some some baby snakes, you know, because we... Baby snakes. Yeah, we're just going through a Zappa phase. Yes. We're like, let's bring some into the world. Yes. So we would engage in cloacal copulation, <laughs> which is mostly referred to as a cloacal kiss. Yes. I know this from bird stuff. So squamates, <laughs> they they have a, the males have a pair of hemipenes, <laughs> which you would refer to as a hemipenis. Okay. The hemipenis is two hemipenes. They got like two dingle dongles. That work and They together. like get all up against the cloaca and then they like make baby snakes. I was going to say, I can't picture this. And then I just, my mind went to like snake porn and I'm like, none of this is good. Well, I'm about to give you a very like clear picture. There's a, a hemipene for every species, pretty much. The surface of the hemipene is what's interesting and unique about it. So they come in a variety of shapes, sizes, structures, etc. Some are smooth. Some have like barbs on them, like Ugh. sharp spines. And that formation is called a rosette. A hemipene by any other name would smell just as sweet. Yeah. It's true. Um, so there are species, though, with like relatively smooth hemipenes. And there's a there's a hemipene theory that um, is called the lock and key uh, theory or the lock and key mechanism theory. And that is that the wonderful variety of hemipene shapes and sizes are so that like species don't like have a cloacal kiss with the wrong species and then make oh. like mutant snakes so that's i mean more or less what i have to say about hemipenes i will say that there was some fun information like some species will like alternate the use they'll like use their left hemipene and then they'll use their right hemipene and then they'll use their left hemipene and their right hemipene we have some venom information so the venom is it's like neurotoxins and cytotoxins so the neurotoxins destroy your nervous system the cytotoxins destroy your cells Okay. Um, they usually make about 175 to 300 milligrams of the yield in like a typical bite is about that much. Uh, the murine subcutaneous LD50. Murine is mice. Okay. Subcutaneous is like under the skin, right? Okay. And then the LD50 is the like concentration that would take to kill half of the population that's exposed to that dose. Okay. Wow. Does that make sense? It does. So if you have 100 rats and you give them 1.15 milligrams per kilogram weight of the rat, mm-hmm. and half like half of them are going to die at least. Right. So it's 1.15 milligram per kilogram. For a person who weighs 100 kilograms, they would need 115 milligrams of venom okay. to die. And the average cobra is like 175 to 300 milligrams. Wow. And like 100, 100 kilograms is like 220 pounds. So that's like a human. Yeah. So you're done. It will kill you. Beware. We're now on the cobra panic stories portion of, <laughs> of, 
of our uh, of our show. We're going back to the Bronx uh, in 2011. The Bronx Zoo on on March 26th. They were like, "Dude, the cobra got out." We're just going to kind of close this area, and we think it's going to be found in the building and not outside because it's March and it's cold, and like the cobra doesn't like open areas. Right. Five days later, on March 31st, uh, they found it in a dark corner of the reptile house, and it was in good health. They had a competition, a contest to name this cobra. He didn't already have a name? Unclear. Maybe rename, rechristen the cobra. (laughs) Renew those vows. And it it was a chic lady cobra, so no hemipenes. But after she was named Mia uh, for missing in action, which I think is very great. Oh, that's what Mia's name originally was. Oh, it's all becoming too real. Our second cobra panic story. We're going to Toronto. The year is 2006. It's fall. A pet cobra has gotten loose and forced the evacuation of a home. For more than three hours, they thought that it was in the walls or whatever. Mm-hmm. Unclear how it was resolved, except we know that the owner was fined $500. And he had to spend the next several months of his life greeting everybody by saying, Oh, sorry. Sorry, my cobra got out. Sorry. <laughs> my cobra. Oh, sorry. My pet cobra's loose. Sorry. Wait, so he was fined $500. Why? Do you know? Does it say? It, is it illegal to have a cobra in Canada? I would think that that would be the charge or like okay. reckless cobra management. Maybe there's some <laughs> archaic statue. Cobra mismanagement. In 2018, uh, this gentleman, Aref Gafuri, was bitten by a cobra while preparing for a show in Turkey. He was evacuated to Egypt for the anti-venom. Holy shit. And made a full recovery. Huh. Okay, I guess that worked. We're now moving on to famous cobras of herstory. <laughs> I like that your report has several subspecies. <laughs> <laughs> so in Egyptian mythology, obviously the cobra was represented. There was even like a goddess, Meretziger. And you know, like the pharaohs had them like, you know, adorning their things. Was, weren't there some like on the headdress? I'm kind of picturing something there'd be like some of the pharaoh headdresses would always at the very front have like a cobra kind of sticking out at the top, right? Affirmative. Yeah. I don't know if you've ever done a crossword before, but maybe you're familiar with the classic crossword question about what killed Cleopatra or like, you know, the snake that bit Cleopatra. And generally the answer is ass. Asp. Yep. Yes. Well, people believe that maybe it was actually a cobra, most likely a Naja Haje. And there's all these stories about how she, you know, maybe she used a hairpin and then injected herself with the poison. Maybe she had tried the poison on prisoners and knew which was the least painful, you know, all this kind of stuff. There's a lot of conjecture about like, well, did this even happen? Yeah. And the rumor is that the cobra was smuggled into the palace in a basket of figs. <gasps> There's figs on our table. There's figs on the table. So now, Meredith, let's use our deductive reasoning. Okay. Do you think that a two meter long snake weighing 20 pounds (laughs) could could have been smuggled into your home and this here basket of figs that is in front of us right now? Hell no. I don't think so either. (laughs) That's a lot of snake for not a lot of figs. I mean, I think that to get... A cobra into this home in a in a in a food stuff like smuggling in food stuff. It would have to be a sumptuous feast. And here I have figs, and Cleopatra might have only had raisins. Ah, liaisons. 
Now, where was I? Where was I? Where was I? Ah, yes. Another reason why people are like questioning this cause of suicide is because it's it can take a while and cause like serious damage, you know. So there's just a lot of questions about the death of Cleopatra. And I think that generally, if there's one thing we've proven here tonight is that certainly the basket of figs would have had to have been bigger than what I brought to your home. I mean, a hu- it would have to be huge. I mean, yes. like a lot of figs, like way more than any self-loving woman would ever attempt to eat by herself. If she was trying to kill herself, I mean, maybe, you know, but still, I Death I by agree. fig. Death please. by fig. Um, I would like to conclude my Cobra journey with uh, the motto of Cobra Kai, which is strike first, strike hard, no mercy. Who's Cobra Kai? It's from the Karate Kid films. Oh, yeah. I haven't seen any. They're like the bad guys. Yes. Okay. Beautiful. Thank you. Uh, let's take a break. Yes. Hey, Tri-State Rodents. The wait is finally over. Class Aves Industries is proud to introduce our new Hawk Transport Service, servicing you, the hardworking mice, shrews, and gophers of this beautiful, bustling metropolis. Need to get home to your wife and 53 newborns in a jiff? Just use your weird little human hands to hail one of our fleet of a thousand hawks who are waiting patiently to snatch you up and deliver you to your destination. All for the small fee of three crickets or your own life, depending on your hawk's hunger level. Hail your own hawk today! Class A's Industries cannot be held responsible for any rodent slaughter. Pets, I wish you had also Pets, I wish you had also met. 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 Also met. Also met. My answer for a pet I wish you had also met will be my one true first best friend, Pumpkin J. Jurgens, cat. She was gray and she was fat and she used to look like a raccoon. And, um, yeah, my brother and I subjected this poor cat to everything. We cut her. We cut. <laughs> One time my mom came home only to find that I had hair missing from my head. Christopher had hair missing from his head. And you know how like cattails, um, there was like a little tip of fur at the top of the tail that um, it's like, not like bone. Like the end, like the terminus. The terminus. It's just fur. And it. You can cut it off with scissors without hitting any bone or skin or anything like that. So we like gave pumpkin a flat top on her tail tip. You guys are maniacs. <laughs> and it was all because like Christopher wanted to like iron the hair on the ironing board. So we were home alone. That doesn't make it any like, cutting each other's cutting each other's <laughs> hair off and the cat and playing with the hot iron. Like what the fuck? Yeah, that's like <laughs> zero out of four. So my mom comes home to quite a scene of carnage. How old were you? I don't even remember, but I mean, I was probably like, I don't know, like eight or nine, maybe. So Christopher would have been like old enough for him to be watching me, but not old enough to know better than to give the cat a flat top tip. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, she she figured in all of our childhood games So she uh, would always be so like if Christopher and I were building like a fort or we were playing like G.I. Joe or something, she would be army kitty or there would be like aquatic kitty, everything kitty, unlimited inside jokes relating to this poor cat. We used to play kitty landing gear where we would fly her around the house (laughs) 
like hold her up, fly her around. And then she'd come in for a landing. Her feet would, we'd like swing her feet out. And then she'd land. Just torture, just pure torture. I would dress her up. I, she just put up with all of it because she was just a badass boss beautiful friend cat she sounds like she's pretty chill if she, she was, was like great doing all that you know yeah she was kind of the best cat for kids and she still shows up in my dreams which makes me there's like one thing that where it's one of a few things that makes me think like you know there maybe there's this alternate reality where all the things that have died that we love are just still around and we can access it through our dream portals uh-huh yeah <laughs> but yeah i just i yeah i often will like think about her in um difficult times and imagine that she's with me which sounds really woo woo but that's nice i mean this cat was like my everything i loved her loved her loved her um how old was pumpkin when you got her um i actually don't really remember getting her so we got her actually as like a consolation cat after the first cat bozo we got died of feline leukemia when Bozo was like, I don't know, we had Bozo for like two weeks. So Pumpkin... tragic. Pumpkin was like the replacement cat, but she was the best cat. Did Which came first, the overweight nature or the name? The name. My brother named her, but she was gray, so I'm not really sure why we said Pumpkin, but... Um, it was like a spooky time of year. Maybe. Yeah. Possibly. Or maybe he knew in his mind's eye that she would become very plump and round as a cat. It's better than like summer squash. You True. know, like if you're going to name really, it after a gourd. That's a really cute cat name, though. Summer squash. It is. <laughs> um, Actually, one of my friends always said that she was going to name her cat Nadia Boulanger. Oh, my gosh. Just keeps coming up. Oh, you know. She's everywhere. She is. Yeah. Pumpkin was the best. And so she, yeah, I think I, she was in my life from like, I think there are pictures of her and me as little, little kids. She was like a teenager and I was like four. Um, Wow. And then she died when I was 16. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I had her for a long time. Pretty much grew up with that cat. Yeah, that's great. And I love her to this day. Yeah. Let's hear it for Pumpkin. Woo, 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 woo. Girl, pour one out for our homie cat, homie kitty. <laughs> I didn't really have pets when I was growing up. Was that um, a was it like an allergy thing, or you just weren't like pet people? Well, my dad's allergic to cats, and so am I. I I don't know. I think it was just kind of a logistics thing. But I operated a business, uh, Mike's Pet Sitting Company, which you know about already. I still have the stationery from it. Do you remember this? You guys came over one time and like. We made a playlist on the stationery for it. <gasps> I hung it up on my wall. It's still there, actually. Oh, it's my hilarious. gosh. Yeah, this is a big yes. I'll send you a photo of oh it. Oh, my die. gosh. <laughs> so we would take care of dogs and like, you know, with the help of my parents and everything and, and my siblings or whatever. But it was like my business, you know, quote unquote. Um, but I would like go over to people's houses and all that kind of stuff. My yeah. piano teacher who lived right down the street, she had this border collie named Sonny. Oh, and that is like the best. I've known a lot of dogs, you yeah. know, because we took care of a lot of dogs. And it was yeah. always kind of funny, like the neuroses of the owners coming out and the dogs and everything like Absolutely. that. Absolutely. That is some legit stuff. Yeah, right it was really telling. Um, and like pe- some people just have like a lot of rules about like what the dog could eat and everything. There was mm-hmm. this this one that um, ate human food. 
you would have to like reheat a plate in the with like green beans and mashed potatoes and like Salisbury steak. It was oh. a giant Alaskan Malamute. It was huge. But that enough about that. Sunny <laughs> is the best dog I've ever known in my entire life by far. Sunny Sunny And I would show up at the house to take the lesson. You would have to like walk around the side of the house and come in through the, the through the basement. And Sunny would greet you, and then she knew she couldn't go around the house because of like because of the electric fence. So she would run all the way around the other side and meet you like as yeah. you came into the backyard. And so with the invisible fence, they put down a ribbon across the driveway so that she would know not to cross the ribbon. Oh. But then they trained her to know that that just meant she wasn't allowed somewhere. So they would use it in the house to be like that she couldn't come into the dining room. So at my home, when she would come and stay with us, we would just put down the blue ribbon, which was great because there were no gates. You know, we were always climbing over gates, but we never had to deal with gates with Sunny because she just knew she wasn't allowed in there. Border collies are fucking smart. She's so smart. And she would sit there when we would have dinner and she would sit there and look at us and like lie down and just be like wishing that she could be near us. And we would be like, you can come in. And she would then cross the line and then she would just sit down and behave the entire meal. She wouldn't be begging or anything. And that always struck me because she was like taught it. She was taught with the electric fence thing, like don't go past this line. But she knew that that was not actually it would not shock her. She was completely aware that she would not be shocked, but she still respected the rule. Yeah. And she knew that she was not to cross that line until she was given permission. And then when she was given permission, she knew that it was something special. So she would lie down and she would behave just absolutely perfectly. Oh. Yeah, I was a righteous dog. Sweet. Yeah. Sunny. Sunny. God bless. What was the coloring of Sunny? Like white and browns and grays. Yeah. Sunny. Here's to Sunny. Pets I wish you had also met. 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 Pets I wish you had met. Also met. Yes. Pets. Texana you. Texana we. Texana who? Texana me. Kingdom. Animalia. It's a creature feature. Phylum. Cordata. Backbone. Nice. Class. Reptilia. That's some chilly blood. Order. Squamata. They're reptiles with scales. Family. Skinky day. Their tails come off. Genus. Taliqua. Australians call them blueies. Species. Taliqua skinkoides. It's the common blue-tongued skink. See the overlap there? Yeah, we got all the way to Squamata. Our kingdom, phylum, class, and order were all the same. Squamata. Yeah. Um, so Squamata meaning reptiles with scales, yeah. right? And after your scale, scalature? What Scalation. Is Scalation. Yes. I can piggyback on that, except I don't have any kind of like scale girth measurements of. It's probably better that way. These common skinks, common blue tongued skinks. And I mentioned to somebody today that I was doing this animal and they're like, that doesn't sound very common at all. A well, blue, Meredith. A blue tongue skink. Stick with me, kid. You'll see things you wish you hadn't. I'll leave that where it lay. I guess we can kind of start um, a little bit more zoomed out and kind of zoom in because a lot of what I can talk about with skinks is going to apply to the common blue tongue skink. Okay. And there's actually not just one kind of blue tongue skink. There's like multiple blue tongued skinks, which is funny. Yeah. But I want to start by just talking about my first 
um, exposure to the blue tongue skink. It was in a pop-up book about animals that I remember I was at a sleepover over at my neighbor's um, house, Caitlin, and she had this book of like animal pop-up stuff. And there was this lizard in there. And then you pulled this tab and this blue tongue would just like flash out. Whoa. And we used to sit and read this and it would make us laugh so hard. Just like <laughs> just the immediacy of this tongue. Just like. Bleh. Yeah. It would just you'd flip the page and just be. Bleh. Yeah. I mean, the ultimate blep, but with like a blue blep. <laughs> a blue blep. Is that like a blue blood? Yes. Yay. Ugh. Let's start with family. So that's kind of where we diverged in our cheers, our taxonomy cheers. That's true. So we share, so the um, Egyptian cobra and the common blue-tongued skink actually share the same order of squamata, reptiles with scales. Most reptiles are Most squamata. Re- right. So now we're into the family skinky day. <laughs> Which is where the skanks live. Yes. These skinky days are skanky. Um, but one of the... Interesting things is that Skinky Day, (laughs) it's never not going to be funny, um, is actually one of the most diverse families of lizards. So listen to some of these Skinky Day types, okay? These are different, um, I guess, divisions within the family. So there's, you got limbless skinks. You've got typical skinks. You've got social skinks. And you've got my favorite, toothy skinks. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> okay wait a second we have legless skanks limbless limbless <laughs> limbless skinks, limbless not skanks skanks skinks not skanks skinks we have limbless skinks we have typical skinks yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know like a lot of tattoos hip huggers yeah tramp stamps tramp stamps they smell like freesia body splash <laughs> Um, okay, the typical ones and social skinks. Social, yeah. (laughs) Toothy skink. That's a toothy skink. (laughs) Skink. Skink. Wait, these are all skinks. They're not skanks. I've just been saying it wrong. Skinks. Skinks with an I. Yes. S. (laughs) I stand corrected. I don't know anything about skinks. Oh, hold on, honey. So skink. S K I N K S. Oh. Skinks. Skinky day. <laughs> Skinky day. Skinky day, probably. Um, unless it's probably some weird other pronunciation like Sinsta day. Because it is S, the family is S C I N C I D A E. But in English, we say skinks. It's the most diverse family. So actually, like limbless, toothy, social, typical. Those are just a few of them. But those are like the funny ones. Those are the, yeah, they're great. Those are the, the most splashy, if you will. Skinktastic. Yes, <laughs> skinktastic. Um, so the one thing that I actually learned about skinks when I was little, because we used to go to Florida on like family trips, and there's a lot of um a lot of little skinks <laughs> that you see darting around. Florida's lousy with skinks. So these are those <laughs> Seriously. These are the little lizards that are like they're, they're like just a couple inches. They're like four inches. Yeah, they're inches. real tiny and they're real darty. Like they're very fast, but they're uh-huh. really cute. And you kind of want to grab one because they're so adorable. Yeah. But if you grab one by the tail, they have the ability to like shed their tail in the moment. I see. Isn't that nuts? So I remember my mom, always the educator, being like, 
those are skinks. If you grab them by the tail, they can release it, which I think um, is something starfish can do as well, actually. Yeah. I mean, the, I, the chinchilla comes to mind with it. Prehensile? It just kind of, no, detachable well, prehensile limbs. is like yeah, it grabs. I'm, yeah, I'm mixing things up. It's a detachable limb, essentially. Sure. I. I don't think I've ever noticed one of these in the wild, but apparently in the three to four months that it will take a skink to regrow its tail, they will come back in like lighter or pinkish. So you can have skinks of many colors. Joseph skink of many colors. Joseph and the many colored skink tail. (laughs) Pink skink tail. But yeah, I just thought that was funny. But then I like it. So earlier you were talking about first we talked about true deer. Uh-huh. And then you were talking about true... True blood? True, true... No, not true blood. Well, anyway, it's just something that has come up a few times in some of my readings because there was something referred to... Oh, when I was doing walruses last week, mm. there was mention of true seals. And I'm like, what are these value judgments? Oh, true cobras. I said <laughs> yeah, true, true cobras. cobras. The, okay. The nausea. Yes, yes. true cobra. And that, so there's such things as like true lizards. So what that means is that they... It's generally... Like the skinks you see around Florida, like really epitomize this. You've kind of got the long body that terminates with like the long tail. A true lizard. Right. The skinky day as a group, they they kind of resemble quote unquote true lizards, but they have um, indistinguishable <laughs> necks and tiny little legs, which made me think of like Yosemite Sam for some reason. Did he have much of a neck? But he did have tiny little legs. He did have tiny legs. So you've just got these like goofy little like squat creatures that aren't really like slender and like sexy lizards. They're more just kind of like dumpy and they're sure. also shy and slow. You're doing a great job of selling me on the skink-a-day lifestyle. But they've got those tongues, man. Yeah. Yeah. So when you, again, like when, like the cobra, when they're cornered, I think generally they're going to be like, I mean as fast as a slow, sad animal can scurry. I wouldn't say scurry, maybe saunter. Mm. You know how like lizards, kind of bigger lizards, like iguanas and stuff will kind of do that like weird like. With their shoulder girdle? Yes, their shoulder girdle. It almost looks like they're like trying to like shake their butt as Mm. they walk. I can imagine that skinks kind of have the same movement style. Um, So they're slow, low to the ground. So they'll probably just kind of like saunter away. But if cornered, they will hiss, flash their blue tongues, and they can really bite you. They're not venomous, but they can they can pack a powerful punch with a bite. Yeah, I don't want to be bitten by anything, let alone a skinkaday. A blue tongue demon. Yeah, fuck that. So moving into like the genus, this is where um we get into the taliqua. Excuse me? Taliqua. Not tequila, taliqua. It mm. means it's blue tongues. Essentially, that's so you go from skinky day, which is like the all of the all the skinks collectively. But then the blue tongued skinks are the genus of Taliqua. And a lot of them, like the common blue tongued skink there, a lot of them are in Australia. So that's why Australians actually have a name for them. They call them blueies. 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 I hear Australians talk all damn day and I still can't replicate that accent. Yeah, I can't do the accent either. I mean, the Australians always have silly nicknames for everything, though. Mm-hmm. Fosters. They call beer Fosters. They well, sure do. I almost bought us cans of Fosters. That would have been really funny. <laughs> They're so big. Yeah, um, well, you know, Australia. 
Yep. So live in Australia, up into Indonesia. We've got these blue tongue babies. Um, and do you remember what the term, this term has come up before when we were talking about stingeries, viviparous. Do you remember what viviparous means? Yeah. And I read a little bit more about it. Yeah. It's that, it's that the, the, the young are birthed in the womb. Like they come out of the mother alive yeah. as opposed to coming out in an egg. Exactly. Yeah. So there's like a placental construction somewhere inside the mother. Uh-huh. Um, but they're yeah, so they're born, they give birth to live skinks. Yeah, the stingaree had uterine milk. I remember that. Yes, but yes, I didn't, exactly. I didn't read anything about uterine milk in this case, but uh-huh. I wouldn't put it past them. When I was doing my <laughs> cloaca research, <laughs> I encountered something about like a classification of mammals as like the placentals. Um, yeah. Because they don't have cloacas. Right. But I, you know, I was really trying to stay focused on the cobra you know <laughs> eye on the prize it's true you can go down so many swamp rabbit holes with this shit because i was i was all up into all the lizard nether regions of wikipedia today looking up this stuff which sounds like fun it's um it's dark and dank all right so lifespan as we were talking with the egyptian cobra these guys also 30 years. These tiny, normally I associate like the smaller the animal, the shorter the lifespan. Yeah, that feels reasonable. Because I mean, these guys are probably, I don't know. I'm thinking I should have converted centimeters into inches. No, well, I, I can do that. 2.54 centimeters is one inch. Except I forget how many inches they are. Well, how many centimeters are they? I don't know. I didn't write well, it down. Well, then what good is the conversion factor? I don't know. <laughs> I was just covering. You blew my cover. Um, (laughs) So they're not very big. I mean, they're definitely not like an arm's length, like an adult arm's length. They're definitely less than that. Like less than one cubit. This is a cubit. Right. Yeah, definitely. Probably like half of a cubit, I would say. Okay. Yeah. So not like maybe like 10 inches, eight or 10 inches. Yeah. Top daddy tens. (laughs) Are those internet inches or real inches? (laughs) Real. Definitely all real. So, Brutal. yeah, I'm just like, <laughs> how blue is your tongue? How blue is that tongue? Um, Yeah, so I'm just like, what does, how do they age? There was nothing written about, like, what does an elder, like the elder statesman of this, of the um, Taliqua, what do they look like? Yeah, you know, how does, does, how do lizards age? How do lizards age? Do they get crow's feet? Do they get wrinkly? Do they get scaly skin? Another funny thing is that these guys are like super highly adaptable, apparently. So they can even adapt to urban living, which I was just imagining. Like, I don't think this is true. But what if there are like there's in Sydney, say downtown Sydney, Mm -hmm. there's like enough blueies to equal like the way we think about pigeons here in Manhattan. (laughs) Like there's just fucking blueies everywhere just just hissing and sticking their tongues out like it's a house divided. You walk by and here you walk down the street and you see a pigeon pecking at a slice of pizza, which I saw today. I almost got a video of it, but I was like, I can just keep walking. <laughs> there you time. find like a bluey just like pecking on a blooming onion. No rules, just right. That is like the whole perception that I have of Australian cuisine is Outback Steakhouse. Oh no. I'm sure it's all wrong. Definitely. Definitely all wrong. But I think for the sake of imagery, 
I love to think of Australia as being like littered with blooming onions. Yeah, just lousy with them. Just lousy, lousy with blooming onions and blueies. Blooming onions chowed upon by blueies. I love it. The skinks. Yeah, so I mean, that's largely what I've got. There was um, no real blueies in the news or anything like that. So this is just, let's just take this as an invitation to do your own research on the blueies. Yeah, find out more about the blueies. I'm just opening up lines of inquiry. If I can just repeat a sentence that I have to write in academic writing. Yeah, no, I love it. I'm opening up lines of inquiry. Let me open a window upon the world of the skinky dads. Let's take a break. Let's go figure out how these windows work. What do you say? Yeah. All right. For an alpaca, nothing is more embarrassing than not being able to spit. That's why we've teamed with legendary lozenge artisan Bon Bon Bobcat to create Spitshine, a new salivation aid specifically for alpacas. For too long, the alpaca community has been ignored by lozenge designers, and we are thrilled to be remedying both that and addressing a real source of social anxiety for our fuzzy alpaca pals. Our palpacas. And I'm not saying that alpacas should feel bad for dry mouth. It's a totally natural part of alpaca life, and it happens to everyone. We're trying to decrease dry mouth stigma by normalizing lozenge use amongst alpacas. Plus, Brand Clubby donates to pro-alpaca organizations, and the product is paraben-free. Suck on yours today! Uh, welcome to the listener feedback where we take your questions and answer them. You can send your questions to us, animalfanclubpod at gmail.com. We will be discussing the questions and we will determine the uh, official position of the Animal Fan Club. Be a fish position. Uh, Meredith has the questions today, so why don't you uh, kick us off, Meredith? All right. So John from Tennessee asks, do bears like cookies? I mean, I would say... Like, here's my image. When you go camping, uh-huh. you got to, like, tie all your food up and, like, string it up in a tree. Oh, like, yeah. all your food. So I'm pretty much, it's like, do bears eat? And the answer is yes. <laughs> of course they like cookies. I think that we know that bears do eat, but I think that most bears tend to like meat items. I think that they're mostly carnivorous. It also depends what kind of bear we're talking about. I feel like in Tennessee... Definitely the, more black bear. Definitely region. more black bear region for sure. Okay, so we have black bears. They're in the mountains. Mm-hmm. They probably don't have access to ovens. <laughs> they probably haven't interacted that much with cookies in the past, except That's for the true. ones that they've happened upon that haven't been properly stored overnight in right. the bear traps. Well, not really bear traps. The bear food prevention devices. <laughs> Bear tamper-proof food storage <laughs> systems. I'll go with that. There you go. Um, but I think that were they presented with, like, were you to put a bear in a room and, like, put cookies on the table, I feel like there's no way that the bear is not eating the cookies along with whatever else is edible in its right. presence. Like a rattan carpet. They're going to eat it. From Pier 1? Yes. Okay. The one and only. So I think I'm going to agree with you, Meredith. I think I'm going to say that, yes, bears do, in fact, like cookies. So the fish position. Yes, John. Bears do like cookies. Ding, 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 (laughs) ding. All right. Next question. Next question. 
This is from H in Nebraska who asks, are turtles groovy? Well, Meredith, if there's one thing that I know about being groovy, it's that it's just really important to approach grooviness generally from a place of calm. Like okay. To really sit in the pocket, to which is, you know, the way that we all talk about it, us rhythm section cats. Yes. And kittens and... <laughs> Meerkats. Meerkats. Mongooses. Yeah. Mongooses, felines, assorted felines. I think that to really be in the pocket, you have to have tremendous control over your anxieties and, you know, all that sort of stuff. And you just have to really be like just in the pocket and just groovy and just like with it. Like even if it's like a real fast number, like you have to just be approaching it from a place of calm. And I would think that a turtle would be pretty capable of that. And to me, that's a big part of being groovy. I think being groovy is, you know, lots of other things too. But I would say that just by the essence of being able to groove, likely that turtles would be groovy. Yeah. Well, also, uh, let's talk about being in the pocket. I mean, turtles carry their own pockets and they often go right in them. Yeah. I would say that there's never a moment when a turtle is not quite literally in its own Pocket. Pocket. <laughs> well, I think that answers that. Yeah. So uh, the official position of the Animal Fan Club is that, yes, turtles are, in fact, groovy. Ding, 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 ding. <laughs> okay. So this last question comes from Anthony in Pennsylvania, who asks, concerning Labradors, is it true blondes have more fun? So, I, I, I mean... I guess the best way to approach any scientific study is uh, with a double blind experiment, I guess. Yes. Um, I'm just thinking of the two Labradors that my aunt had when Uh I was growing up. And there was, I don't remember their names at this moment. I think the, I think there was like a chocolate one and a blonde one. (laughs) And I feel like the chocolate one's name was Martha, but I might be wrong. I can't remember the blonde one's name. Yellow. (laughs) Yellow lab, but I do like blonde. It's yeah. Well, the question I know, I know the question is blondes. It's a brilliantly worded question. Yeah. Well, it's I think it's understood. I mean, like yeah. I would <laughs> totally. I would describe blonde hair as yellow generally, but because it's absolutely I know. just you know I'm just foreseeing a lot of emails from the Labrador enthusiasts out there. They're like, um, excuse me, it's the technical term of the yellow lab. So I just want to make it known that we know. But for the purposes of this, blonde is a much more fun way to approach this question. Yeah, I think it is important to pick nits, but only really when you're (laughs) the victim of a lice infestation, which I'm not at this moment. So um, I'm going to just I'm going to refer to this dog as my, you know, my cousin dog as a as a blonde whose name I don't even remember (laughs) as a blonde. And um, yes, I will say that I don't even remember his name. So. I don't think he was more fun than the chocolate lab. But now I'm not even sure that it was a chocolate lab. I think it was a a brown lab or a black lab, maybe. But (laughs) I will say, though, that is probably a a good source for like a more rigorous scientific journey into this. Yes. Clearly, my memory is foggy. 
every yellow lab that I have ever known has been a total goof maloof and like <laughs> soup stoops fun and like way, way just like having a good time. And I've known some some black labs and some chocolate labs and like mixes with like other breeds that have mm-hmm. like black or chocolate lab, like Tyson, the oh, gentleman yeah. dog Tyson. Tyson. But I've known these, I've known dogs that are like chocolate labs, black lab, like mixes with like pit bulls and other dogs and whatever. And they tend to be a little bit more serious, you know? I will say the chocolate labs I've encountered, I encountered one this morning. Um, they live below us. There's a chocolate lab. And they're kind of mopey in like a, a super sweet, endearing kind of way. Mm-hmm. Um, this coffee shop where I used to work, there was this woman who would always um, leave her dog tied up to the bench outside. His name was Mac. And he would always... He would just look into the window when she was in the store with the saddest eyes, the most longing, like, woo, 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 eyes. And I, I feel like she probably felt a little overlooked because anytime I would see her, I'd immediately be like angling to look outside at the dog who would inevitably just be like up against the window, like, woo, 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 woo. These like sad dog eyebrows. Just very cute. I do, I do dig a mopey dog, but yeah, I think. But they're not as much fun as like the no. the blonde would be out there, and uh-uh. it would just be like bopping around, meeting everybody, having a good time. Oh yeah, that dog would just have like tongue out, like tail wagging, eyes up and out, just looking for pets, you know. Yeah. Not longing for its owner. He so, just needs her damn coffee. Well, who doesn't need coffee every now and again? Right. So are we going to say that concerning Labradors, it is in fact true that blondes have more fun? I would agree with that statement. Myself also. The fish position, blonde Labradors, in fact, have more fun. Ding, 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 ding. ding. <laughs> well, thanks for the questions. Keep them coming. Animalfanclubpod at gmail.com. So that concludes this week's meeting of the Animal Fan Club. Animal Fan Club is created and produced by us, Meredith Jurgens and Mike Luno. We also create all our original music and sonic experiences. Follow us on Instagram at Animal Fan Club Pod. Send us your listener feedback questions to animalfanclubpod at gmail.com. We're both on Instagram at Meredith Jurgens and at Mike underscore Luno. And don't forget to rate and review our podcast on your favorite app. That really helps us out. Thanks for listening to our show. We hope it makes your heart and spirit glow. We'll be here next week for another meeting of the Animal Fan.